Welcome to the Innovation Today podcast, where we speak with today's technology leaders about how they're innovating to stay ahead of changing industry dynamics and reaching new levels of productivity and automation. Brought to you by ServiceNow, your partner in digital transformation. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of the Innovation Today podcast. I'm your host, David Wilson, Area Vice President at ServiceNow. Today, we're excited to welcome Melissa Coho, Global Director of Global Security Risk and Resiliency at New Rocket. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Melissa, could you give us a little insight to your background, um, specifically around the area of risk that we're going to talk about today? Sure. So I have um, been working in the risk and resilience industry as well as the security industry for the last nine years. Prior to that, I worked for several global banks working in IT disaster recovery, um, business continuity management, as well as handling IT risk management and being actually the recipient of IT risk management as more regulations came in, which gives me a unique perspective on people who are experiencing risk management because I can actually show some empathy and try and help make that process smoother because I know how it can feel sometimes. You felt their pain. Yes, many times. Great, great. So as we go in through this, you know, we're going to talk a lot about risk, a lot about business continuity management. You know, thank you for your introduction, your background. I think that's going to resonate with our listeners today. You know, how does IRM tie to business continuity management and operational resiliency? So I look at IRM, business continuity management, and operational resilience as actually being like the outcome or the result uh, or, or wanting to achieve the same outcome and result, which is that organizations need to be able to be resilient in the, in the condition or in the case of adverse events. It's essentially for any organization that exists for any period of time of any length, it's inevitable that something's going to threaten their ability to do business, and they all have to be resilient when it does. So business continuity is giving you the ability to respond when something has gone wrong. Operational resilience gives you insight into where you should focus your time so that you can avoid things going wrong. And integrated risk management gives you the opportunity to predict if something's going wrong and giving you the ability to start to look forward. Gotcha. And as you think about your body of experience, you know, what are some of those customer examples that uh, you've seen where things have gone well or things maybe have not gone well? So I think it's been really interesting because watching risk management evolve over the last, say, eight-ish years, it's been a very interesting experience to watch how it's changed over time. A lot of the time when we were talking with clients um, earlier on, everybody had a really strong idea. This is how it must be done for my company. And we had a lot of sort of Special snowflakes is more or less the right word, but I don't necessarily want to make it sound like it's a negative thing or a derogatory, because everybody was unique because risk management was still evolving. Now what we're starting to see is we're starting to see organizations begin to become more consistent in how they manage risk, as well as starting to think a bit more about why they manage risk, which again goes back to that idea that you need to be resilient, which means you need to know what could impact you so you can put your money where it belongs and where it will do the most good. And do you see differences between like organizational size, geographies, industries? Absolutely. Yeah. How does that come across? I would say the financial industry probably experiences or has the most maturity in, in the form of risk management simply because they've been highly regulated for so long and therefore they have been required to have risk management programs, business continuity pro programs for longer when you're talking about a larger organization, you often have more team members who are able to dedicate more time and they have a stronger idea 
on what they want to do and they need a little bit more support on what's the best way to do it in service now. While when you're working with smaller organizations, they tend to be a little bit less like they want to they want to have more advice on what they need to do and how they should be going forward and being given more prescriptive information on how to be successful. Um, and they tend to have less fierce or strong ideas on how exactly they have to do things. So stronger ideas on how they have to do things. When you think about organizations and their approach, are there some lessons learned based on your body of experience where where they should focus? Absolutely. One of the things that you need to be looking at from when you're thinking about risk management or compliance or business continuity is you really need to be thinking about the result that you want to achieve. I think that's probably the most important lesson that we have learned with all of our clients. Like we've worked with hundreds of clients, countless of projects in retail, financial, trying to think off the top of my head, like working on this globally. A lot of the time, the, the organizations that are most successful are the ones who realize it's the result they want to achieve. A lot of times customers will come to us, especially because we are a ServiceNow partner. And for example, they'll come and say, I need a blue button and I need that blue button to do exactly like, to do exactly what I want it to do in this exact order. I needed to make these changes to the tables. The reality is, is no one actually wants the button. They want what the button can do. And we need to figure out what the what they want the button to do, because sometimes there's actually a better way of doing it. And that flexibility is what's going to make you more successful. So almost if I was listening today, I would want to probably take a pause and think about the blue button and and figure out the end state of what we want that blue button to do. Right. What results are you being asked to accomplish by your board or by your senior executives or your C-suite? What results do you need to solve? Like what problems, what business problems are you truly solving? And try and go beyond the workflows within ServiceNow and think about what is the business need you're trying to fill? What is the business problem you're trying to solve? And then work with a partner who is capable and has experience within this industry to come up with the right way to do it versus coming in with very preconceived and possibly very strict ideas on how you want to implement. Because sometimes that means we're not actually using ServiceNow to its best extent. We may be negatively impacting its longevity. And we may also not be following industry best practices, which often results in you're having to go in later and fix it when you've matured further. So it takes me back to an old statement that I used to say, a fool with a tool is still a fool. Because if you're just trying to replicate technology or displace an old legacy technology with a new piece yeah. of technology, and you don't think about the process and the business needs and the outcomes you're trying to achieve, you're going to end up with the same result. Exactly. And you it, don't get the value. Exactly. And a lot of the times I find organizations will come, they'll have a spreadsheet they've been working on for ever, and they love their spreadsheet. It does more or less what it, what it needs to do, but it's missing the ability to connect everything together. It's missing the ability to provide good reporting. It gets deleted on a semi-regular basis or it gets appreciably changed on a regular basis. And they want to move to ServiceNow, but they want to get all of the benefits of both Excel and ServiceNow simultaneously. And you can't go into a product like ServiceNow and try and make it like Excel. It actually negatively impacts the ability to adopt because we end up over-engineering what we need to solve. If we use ServiceNow to the best extent, or its best extent, I think it can be a lot more successful. It can be an easier adoption and you get to see the value of service now much more quickly. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So as we think about going back to the importance of business continuity management and operational resiliency, how does this impact business? So can you just describe that for me a little bit? Absolutely. So again, we're trying to come up with a program that allows you to be more resilient in the longer term. 
And that means you're trying to create a program that enables your team to be both risk aware and resilient aware in what they're doing and why they're doing it. So once you start to think about being more resilient in that context and you start to understand, okay, I'm implementing risk management so that I can think about what could be happening in the future and predict what could be happening in the future so I can focus on making sure that the impact and the likelihood is reduced. I'm implementing my business continuity management program so that I can respond when something has gone wrong and I'm implementing the operational resilience program to bring everything together and give me a single plane of class. You start to give a benefit to your executives who are able to get better answers to the questions and also help them understand that the question they should be asking is not like, are we safe today? It's, are we resilient if something were to go wrong today? You also start to benefit the individuals on the teams because they start to understand why they're doing these things. I think one of the biggest challenges in risk and in resilience and security is we don't often tell and empower our teams and our first lines of defense as to the why. We just give them controls that they have to follow. We, we turn off their USB data ports on their laptops and we don't explain why. We don't necessarily talk about why you can't download or look at Facebook or anything like that. And it, once we start to explain the why, we start to create enthusiastic champions within the organization. And then you have people who, when they get that email that says, click the link, will actually pause and go, if I click this link and this happens to be phishing, this could expose my organization to a malware or to a phishing attempt, or I could lose my credit card or my password information. And they'll start to think about the why rather than trying to like do things by rote. And you'll be more successful in the longer run. I love the stories there in terms of creating your internal champions and explaining the why. Mm -hmm. I think that really helps the individual employee understand why those controls are actually important. Exactly. And controls, sometimes we don't want them to be a disabler, but sometimes they do slow things down. So for example, if you you have to follow a particular process and get a certain level of approvals that you didn't have to before, it can be viewed as a disabler. The reality is, is that we're trying to protect the organization from a negative outcome or an adverse event that's much worse than that slight slowdown that has to happen while you get the approvals. And it starts to help people understand of, okay, this is inconveniencing to me as an individual, but is benefiting my organization as a whole. Therefore, it's worth that inconvenience. And I can, I can at least understand why and see the value of it so I can become a little bit more enthusiastic about it. And that's where I think ServiceNow actually helps. Yes automate those workflows yes. and can help reduce the burden of that of that change to, to the it, employee. Exactly. It can simplify the process and make it a lot more automated and means you have to, there's less mental burden on the individual to figure out what their process is each time. Listen, when we talk about risk, mm -hmm. what are some of the common misconceptions about risk that are out there? So one of the interesting things is that the word risk as an English word, means a lot of things in an organization. When I'm speaking to somebody like a, a chief information security officer versus a chief risk officer versus a chief executive officer, we're actually, they're all using the word risk, but they all functionally mean slightly different things and are asking slightly different questions. And I think there's a huge misconception that if you want to get into risk management, you're doing one thing. You're doing risk management, which is a use case, obviously, within ServiceNow. It can, depending on to whom you were speaking and what they're actually interested in, mean multiple things. So the CISO may actually be wanting us to track their vulnerabilities and making sure that we're, the vulnerabilities are being closed within an SL, a specific SLA. 
when you're talking with your chief compliance officer, chances are they're talking about their regulatory burden, the regulatory requirements, or their policy controls. It So risk means different things to different people. And even though we all use the same word, it actually can result when you put it into a system like ServiceNow, it has to go a little bit more black and white, which may mean we have to say, okay, we're now talking about vulnerability response versus integrated risk management. I think the other misconception about risk is that it's a one and done thing. Risk is a journey. You're going to be maturing over time. Your your potential attack surface is going to change over time. And an attack surface can both mean the technical attack surface and like your human risk or your process attack surface. And your threat landscape is going to change over time. So you need to be prepared to constantly be examining what is your risk management program? How successful is it? What has changed since now? What's emerging that you now need to respond to? And have a, have a very, I can't think of a, I, I haven't ever been able to find the right word. I always use the word neuroplasticity. Like you have to have a neuroplastic view on how your risk management program needs to evolve. You can't get set in black and white, very strict structure because you do need to bend and to be flexible as the, as the world and our economy changes. So let me just dive deeper on that topic just for a moment. When when we think about coming out of the pandemic, mm-hmm. we talk about digitalization, we talk about the acceleration of digitalization and how that's impacting risk. How is, from your point of view, how, how do organizations address that? Like how do they, or where do they start? Starting is a really interesting question. And I think that Depending on your organization and what's important to you, your starting point is going to be different. Um, so if you're in a financial institution where you may choose to start, it would be very different than if you're working for a retail organization. Usually what I will do when I, a customer comes and says, well, where do we start? I'll say, like, listen, if you're not going to do anything else, make sure you can re- you can respond to events. If you know that things are going to come at you, you need to have the smoothest response you can possibly have. If you have a security incident response or if you have a disaster that's resulted in business, like having to initiate your business continuity management plans or a pandemic, like make sure that you have the ability to respond smoothly. You're not going to do, if you're going to do one more thing, prepare, try and make sure you're prepared so that you've got your, your plans in place for business continuity management, IT disaster recovery. Make sure you've got your um, playbooks for security incident response, which makes it easier for you to identify like the steps you need to take depending on the type of security incident. And then just keep building and try and find where are you getting the most momentum so that you can keep moving the the bar forward and just continue to improve your resilience and, and identify where your next weakness is. Is there an easy button? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a little bit of, like, there are things that you can do that can make your life easier. Usually, it it involves starting small. Identify what is keeping you awake the most at night. And this is a question that we'll ask is, like, what is stressing you out the most? Like, what was, if you had one thing that you could change, what would make your life easier? And then we'll come up with a very stable and quick minimum viable product. So that we're implementing service now. I like to implement ServiceNow in 90 days at most six months because that way you're implementing quickly, you're getting feedback from your end users quickly, and you're, you're avoiding analysis paralysis. So there are a lot of things that you can do to make it easier for you. It does require thought and it requires work both on the side of like the organizations that need to implement it and on the partners because you're really trying to create cultural change and 
as much as I wish there was an easy button, I don't think it exists. When we think about the key trends that the listeners, you know, to this podcast should be following or looking for, what are some of those trends? Sure. I'm going to talk a little bit about trends that I'm seeing, and I'm also going to talk a bit about trends that I want to see. One of the trends I'm definitely seeing, and I'm seeing it when I'm speaking with customers, we saw it actually prior to the pandemic, the Bank of England releasing a report saying it's not about business continuity management, it's about operational resilience, is the conversation, trying to t organizations, including partners and consultants and practitioners, trying to change the conversation to say, listen, we need to be thinking about being resilient in everything that we do. And that is really an organizational change that goes beyond simply risk management, compliance management, or security management. I'm also starting to see organizations moving more into operationalizing their operations risk management and their enterprise risk management. Prior to this, a lot of organizations could get away with that spreadsheet. But now the the burden of at like the effort in, in like human capital to keep that up to date, plus the effort to, that's required to get the good reports to the board, it's requiring organizations to start to think about moving into tools. And um, one of the things that I'm really seeing is that organizations are looking and saying, well, I've already got service now for my technology. I've already got it for my security. It's an easier lift for us to start to bring in um, our risk management program into service now, which I think is great because you actually start to feed off of what your technology teams are already doing and be able to give that to your risk teams as information rather than having to follow up via email or meetings or conversations. A couple things I'd like to start to see is I'd like to start to see the idea of resilience being a cultural shift. And it's really about being creating a risk-aware culture, a resilient-aware culture. It's about actually creating risk management and resilience management as a art of the nudge, which is really this behavioral economics idea where you're actually encouraging people to do the right thing. Rather, It's using the carrot rather than the stick. To, to encourage people to do the right thing. So rather than sending the nasty grams about the fact that you are behind and you haven't, you haven't implemented your control, it's about encouraging people on the reason why implementing that control makes a big difference. I definitely think artificial intelligence, which I'm sure everybody would love to make sure that I, I, I mention um, on here today, it is coming. I don't think we have enough data yet. I really would love to see us to be at the point where we can start to look at the whole ecosystem of service now, the whole ecosystem of an environment and begin to identify where the emerging risk trends may be and doing it in a way that takes the human out of it. Because often what we'll see is that when a human is looking at something that might be a risk, but if exposing that risk might expose that person to, for example, judgment or possibly having bonuses taken away or possibly having being asked, like, why did you let this go on for so long? They won't do it. And that's when a lot of the bigger challenges that we have seen happen have occurred. So if we're thinking about some of the things that have been happening in the banking industry, some of the things that may have happened in the banking industry in the past, people could have spoken up, but they were incented not to. And we need to start to find a way to have technology speak up loudly enough that you can't ignore it. And it gets to the right person who can actually go, oh, this is really bad. We need to fix this. So on that, you've talked about the CISO. Yeah. Talked about compliance officer, risk. In, in your perspective, who should own this? I think it starts with the CEO. Like, So the chief executive officer needs to be creating a culture that encourages a lack of silos. It starts to encourage the um, 
the working together of all of the teams and avoiding sort of the the land grabbing or the empire building that can happen obvi um, obviously in organizations. And then I think it's their responsibility to push down accountability to other members of their team to make sure that they're all accountable for their individual pieces so that you can bring it all together and really get like that the grand unified theory answer of am I resilient or not, which I haven't figured out that that equation yet, but maybe next by next time I will. I'd love to see that. Me too. I think our listeners would probably love to see that as well. As soon as I've got it, I'll, I'll, I'll be blasting it all over LinkedIn. <laughs> Publish it. Yeah, exactly. In, in terms of the direction that we're headed, mm -hmm. like you talked a little bit about what you'd love to see. Right. Just in terms of the environment and the nature of risk and the digitalization, like where are we headed? I am an idealist. So I think we are heading towards a world that require that that will encourage organizations to act with integrity and in line with their values, to be doing the best thing for their people, for their clients, and for the environment. And I, I know you weren't actually asking about environmental, social, and governance, but that's a passion of mine. So I, I want to mention that as well. Like we, we need to be having um, organizations who um, live in this world and want to make this world better as well as make money and profit, which is the reason for existing. And in fact, um, Eidelman Group recently released a report that said that 62% of people globally put more trust in their business in businesses than they do in media, nonprofits, or government. So people are ready to see organizations start to build change for the greater good. And I think that that starts with making sure that you're 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 protecting your in the people who work for you, you're protecting the customers and their money and the services that you're providing them and you're also protecting the world in which you live. Say treating people with respect, treating the environment with respect and so on. Love that. Love that focus on customer, your people, employees, your shareholders. Uh, and then the whole world. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Also working on world peace while I'm not working on the grand unified theory. <laughs> Lisa, so when working with different teams, you know, teams think that they're not siloed. What What's your take on that? So at one point we were working with a client and we wanted to put together a um, executive steering committee. And so we were working with both the security teams, both the risk teams. We were very excited because we had a client that had hit that level of maturity or so we thought who would want to work together. Um, we heard from the security leader and we heard from the risk leader and they were both enthusiastic yeses. So long as the steering committee only handled their subjects. So they wanted to have a risk steering committee and a security steering committee separately. And yes, we may have missed the boat or the mark on that one. Well, that's, that's the silos that uh, yeah. have got to be broken down. Exactly. And that that's really, and so what we are doing and the way that we're approaching things like this is we're trying to get higher in the organizations. So a lot of organizations, what they want to do is they, they, they want to own what they want to own and they want to do their job. They want to do it well, and they don't want to necessarily have to step back. But we executives and leaders and global global enterprise leaders need to step back and understand that if you have constant change, you need to be responding with like constant agility, constant alignment, constant focus. And that's the only way you're going to get more resilient over time. Well, great. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. I know our listeners will get a lot out of our conversation. Thank you so much. I'm I'm happy to have been here and thank you for giving me the time to share some of my ideas. Absolutely. And thank you, all our listeners. Please subscribe and share if you like what you heard today and be sure to join us for our next episode.